0: those negative voices in his head became stronger and louder than the ones like us that were telling him, you are worthy, you matter, you're doing good things. Those loud voices just took over. And what we now know is that people don't want to end their life. People want the pain to end. They want to end the pain. They don't want to end their life. They want to end their pain. So it's not about them, really. It's about the pain. Hi,
1: everyone. Hi, everyone. This is the AgeWise podcast.
0: Your assumptions are going to be turned somewhat upside down.
1: Where we talk about aging well. It's an issue
0: that nobody wants to talk about.
1: And wisely.
0: I was totally unfamiliar with the term caregiver. You really learn what you're capable of.
1: I'm Jana Panaridis. Today's episode is brought to you by Aeroflow Urology. As a caregiver, do you struggle knowing how to even start getting your loved one qualified for urology products? Aeroflow Urology can help. Visit aeroflowurology.com slash or call 888-446-2177. In the United States, as many as 8.4 million people act as caregivers to adults with emotional or mental health conditions. That's according to a recent report co-authored by the National Alliance for Caregiving and the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Mental health caregivers often have a heavier burden of care and higher stress levels than a typical family caregiver. One such caregiver who faced a heavy burden and ultimately heartbreak is Christy Horner. In 2014, Christy's younger brother was suffering from mental illness and took his own life. A few years later, Christy founded the organization Courage to Caregivers, a nonprofit organization based in Northeast Ohio that supports caregivers for a loved one with mental illness. I am so happy and honored to have Christy on the show. Christy Horner, welcome to the AgeWise podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So Christy, did you grow up in Ohio, just to kind of put this in a context for listeners?
0: Sure. I have actually lived in Ohio my entire life. Different parts, but always in Ohio.
1: Okay. Siblings? Mm -hmm. Close family? Sounds like it, from the article I read. Oh,
0: absolutely. Right. So I'm the oldest of what we're four and I have two other sisters and my younger brother, as you just mentioned. And my family is all in Ohio at this time.
1: So I referenced your brother, but prior to 2014, you actually received a very fateful call in June of 2010 from your Mm -hmm. younger brother. And maybe you could tell us about that. And where was he living at the time?
0: He was out of state and really just for the privacy of his family and his young children. That's really all I tend to say, but he was out of state. And so, as he said, it was June in 2010. And you get a call from your younger brother, and you're like, hey, how's it going? And I was not prepared for the call. He really got right to the point and shared that he had wanted to end his life. I happened to be driving, so I immediately pulled over. And I have experienced as a Stephen minister in our congregation, and, mm-hmm. and essentially for anyone who is not familiar with that ministry. It's a lay caring ministry providing one-to-one support for those in need. Mm -hmm. And so I had been trained through understanding and supporting someone who was suicidal. So I knew enough to really ask some really hard questions at that moment, even though you're never really prepared for that when it's someone you love this much. But Mm -hmm. I knew enough to ask him if he had a plan. And it's really hard to hear when someone shares their plan, but he did. And then I asked if he had the means to execute the plans, and he said he did not. So it gave me, again, some context for where he was in crisis. Mm -hmm. And then as I continued to talk and listen, he said, you know, just hearing your voice, just knowing you can be here, just, you know, talking through this, I feel so much better. And I was like, great, I'll be there in, you know, at that point it was like four or five hours. And Mm -hmm. so I was texting with my husband on the back end and he had gotten me on the next flight and I turned my car around and headed to the airport. Instead, what followed were two weeks of like on the ground getting a care plan in place and supporting his family. At that point, he, again, what I knew from that care ministry as a Stephen minister was you never give someone the idea to take their life by talking about it. Talking about it is what actually can prevent suicide. And so I knew that I just had to keep him talking, and ultimately that's what I did. And then he just backed down and realized he could use some help at that point. Mm -hmm. And I read
1: that he was in a lot of chronic pain because of a gallbladder surgery. So up to that point, how was he managing his mental health condition or his health, given the chronic pain? Right.
0: Exactly. So it turns out, you know, we have so much more context now, but Mm -hmm. he really cites his mental health challenges back to adolescence. There was some trauma in his adolescence with our parents divorce and mm-hmm. a custody battle he was the only one at home and had to go through the worst of that mm-hmm. and had gone off to boarding school and kind of the trauma of those things mm-hmm. sent him into his very first what he cites depression and then I'd say that he probably lived off and on managing and I'm sure we all know and probably care for and love people who are managing at a pretty high level with depression or yeah. anxiety mm-hmm. it's so common today yep. right yeah and then in 2008 the trauma again of getting his gallbladder out, Mm. which is pretty routine. I know a lot of people who've had their gallbladder out and Mm. it left him in chronic pain. And he went all the way to the Mayo Clinic with that chronic pain. And ultimately they said, hey, there's nothing we can do for you. Everything surgically, physically is fine. And yet this pain was so horrible. And we saw the reaction of his body to this physical pain. It no longer allowed him to manage All of this underlying mental health challenges, Uh and uh it pounded with obsessive compulsive disease as well. So,
1: so at that point, was he treated for mental illness? Was he on any medication for that? Not that that's the only option.
0: Of course. Oh, it's so complicated, as we all know, and I've come to know even more in the last few years. I think that's everybody's first reaction. Like, we were like, "Hey, so you've got all this going on." We know there's good medications out there, and there's so many good medications. We understand that if one doesn't work, he tried try the next and try the next. There's also talk therapy, and there's communities, and there's support groups. And yet, the challenges of his mental health issues prohibited him from leaving the house and seeking help, first of all. Mm-hmm. But second of all, he really felt in his head that taking medication was going to only exasperate his physical pain. And so in his mind, there were no options for medication because it would make the physical pain worse. Mm -hmm. And so he tried to manage them with meditation Mm -hmm. and reading and exercise, and he loved the outdoors. But there were days that his mental health challenges just didn't allow him to fully take advantage of all those good options to manage his mental health. He did see a counselor off and on, but it just was never enough, if you will.
1: Mm -hmm. When you designed the care plan for him and when you flew out there, what did that look like?
0: So it was, hey, here are a list of therapists, and, you know, you need to start calling them. So it was really compiling a list of resources Mm -hmm. for him. Mm -hmm. Therapists for him, some joint counseling for the family. Ultimately, like, looking back, now if I were to support a family through the same thing I had been through, I may not approach the care plan in quite the same way because what I realized was just like when you, I don't know if you've ever parented teenagers or adolescents, right? And you give them (laughs) five things to work on for the day or five (laughs) things to focus on, like clean your room, clean out your car, sleep the floor, well, you're going to be lucky if one thing stuck. (laughs) Exactly. And there's this fine line of enabling and supporting codependency and supporting. Mm -hmm. And so looking back, I left him with like a to-do list Mm -hmm. it was far too much now that I much better understand his challenges
1: Mm -hmm. it was just
0: too much Mm -hmm. and so I probably would have approached it a little different those two weeks that my one sister and I were there with the family we improved things in the house Mm -hmm. during those two weeks I would say and yet I probably should have treated it a little differently I'm not sure I understood the depths of the extent of his abilities and inabilities to manage. Ultimately, what followed were four years of providing a lot of care to Uh him and mostly through the form of active listening on the calls for two and three hours at a time and then some visits in between. And again, things definitely improved. So we celebrated those little milestones of improvement, but recognizing now the depths to what he was not managing We probably should have done a stronger intervention, to be quite honest. But again, hindsight is 20-20. I try not to live in the past because I was just actually talking to one of my sisters. I will always live with some of that, and I've worked really hard to lose some of and let go of some of that. But it's just a part of my story. It's part of what fuels me forward to help others is my story and where I failed, to be quite honest.
1: Yeah, and it's a strong motivator. I can tell you, I've, in a different context, I can certainly relate to that, but we're not talking about me. Um, yeah. So, so but It's relatable, right? It's yeah, relatable. for sure. For sure. You want to make up for yes. what you miss. When I
0: changed my pitch that I provide to audiences, and I have you know, short, medium, and long versions, mm-hmm. but I now start with who here is providing care to someone they love? Because everyone in your audience is or has provided care to someone they love
1: in one form or another for sure. Yes,
0: so it makes it relatable. Yeah, yes. and
1: you have to be away from it for a while to really look at it yeah. objectively. It's really just Absolutely. so hard. You're really flying blind up to that point. Had you consulted yeah. had you consulted with any medical professionals outside of the care plan you implemented or tried to implement? Right.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. So, my very first call outside of my husband, which was getting me on the flight to see my brother, mm-hmm. was One of my best friends, lifelong friends, who is a renowned physician here in Cleveland, and she's one of the smartest people I knew. I knew that she would direct me to the right place, and she did. She sent me to the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, Mm -hmm. and so at that moment, on that day in 2010, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline went in all our phones. Mm -hmm. His family, his, mine, my sisters, my parents, everyone had access to that lifeline, because what we now know especially is that that lifeline is there not just for the person who is contemplating suicide, but also for those who support that person. Mm-hmm. And so I've made everyone that I talk to put that in their phone so that number's in their phone. And there's also the crisis text line, but at that time really it was the suicide prevention lifeline that went in our phone. You know, and then she said, "You know, this is the level of care, this is the kind of care, these are the people you're looking for. So she actually helped me to distinguished between a greater understanding between what kind of care, like psychologists, psychiatrists, Mm -hmm. counselors, Mm -hmm. social workers, all those levels of care, Mm -hmm. they all were jumbled up until that moment. And so she helped me gain some clarity on what kind of people, because again, she wasn't diagnosing him. She wasn't working with him. She was supporting me as the caregiver to, here's what you need to do. So she absolutely directed me towards that path. And then it becomes this fine line, right? If he was my child and that child was even a dependent or under 18, I would have much more control, if you will, over airplane. Mm -hmm. He was every bit an adult and a very independent, stubborn adult, even though he was my little brother by almost 10 years. And so he needed me for one thing, and that was the act of listening. He felt like he had no one else to turn to or talk to about the depths of his darkness. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I became that primary person. And a few of the rest of the family members absolutely filled in and heard different pieces and parts to his story. So we each had a place for him in his toolbox, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that is what he valued most in the end. Those counselors and therapists, it was very hard for him to navigate that and find a place, a source of comfort or help to him. Mm -hmm. So again, anyone who supports someone with a brain difference knows that the voices in their head. And sometimes that's literally for some people with mental health challenges. Mm-hmm. For my brother, it was those two voices in your head, which tells you, you know, right from wrong, good and bad. I'm on the right path. I'm not. It was literally that voice that was just telling him, I'm not worthy. The world is better without me. I'm mm-hmm. such a drag. I am not helping my kids. Mm-hmm. I no longer do things I used to love to do. Those negative voices in his head Mm -hmm. became stronger and louder than the ones like us that were telling him you are worthy, you matter, you're doing good things. Um, Those loud voices just took over. And Mm. what we now know is that people don't want to end their life. People want the pain to end. They want to end the pain. They don't want to end their life. They want to end their pain. And so... Mm. It's not about them, really. It's about yeah. the pain.
1: This is not something that most people would break down in that way and think about. I certainly wouldn't frame it that way because I have no experience with that. So I appreciate you making that distinction. And right. you sound like you were doing pretty well in 2014. Oh, you got yeah. a different kind of call. Um, we did.
0: Yeah. So I just think that that's one of those hardcore memory balls that. Just don't ever forget. I will never forget where I was, the few hours that transpired right beforehand, the way the call came through, our reaction. I will never, ever forget that call. He had made such improvement and such great strides that it was almost unbelievable. And the first thing that goes through your mind is, you know, besides, no, this can't be true, is the very next question is, why? And Mm -hmm. I've talked to literally hundreds of people in the last five years as we've shared our story, and it's everyone's first question, why? Mm -hmm. I just don't understand, why? Mm -hmm. And even though we did, you don't want to accept any of that. And so it's why, why, why? And, you know, was there or no? Why? Maybe that will give us some understanding and context, why? You want someone to blame, because that helps with the why. I mean, it just always goes back to why, when it's so unbelievable, like you and I, talking, we just can't even imagine the depths of the pain to which he must have been feeling to actually do this to himself. And yet, he really believed that the rest of us would be better without him dragging us down, including his own family, his two young kids and his ex-wife and all of us. I mean, he just really felt that we'd all be better off without him. Mm. That's what his voices were telling him in his head. And so we actually, as a family, had to seek help to understand the why because it was just so unbearable to us that, you know, he called me the first time and maybe it wasn't the first time, but in my mind, he called me the first time and allowed me to come and help him. Why didn't he call that time? And yeah, yeah.
1: for listeners, we're talking about a phone call that Christy received in May of 2014 from a detective who informed her of her brother's suicide, just to make that clear. I I just I can't even imagine. It's unfathomable. So Christy, after that you did form the nonprofit Courage to Caregivers. And tell us when you decided to do that and, and sort of how that came about.
0: Right. So almost as soon as it happened and my sisters and I raced out there again and you know, we're really picking up the pieces and putting things back together which is what we do. My sisters and I take action, Uh right? And we're working together to Uh do all the nuts and bolts of what has to be done. And again, I'm the oldest, so I quickly become the special administrator for his estate, and we have to do all the nuts. And the nuts and bolts keep you in grief from really the depths of your grief kind of right away. Mm -hmm. And as we're working together to kind of clean up things, if you will, literally and, and emotionally and supporting his family, because I have to be honest. Telling my parents Mm -hmm. was absolutely the hardest thing I've ever done in my life to deliver that news to them. Mm You know, They're the ones who brought him life, and Mm -hmm. so as a parent, your heart just explodes when you have to tell your own parents Mm -hmm. about this. And then to go and face his young children was the second hardest thing. Of course, I didn't have to tell them. They already knew, and they had their beautiful mom to support them through that, and yet in the depths of our grief, grieving together and taking that journey of understanding why was really, really hard. During those two weeks of putting things back together in all these ways, I immediately realized there just had to be a better way of supporting someone you love with their mental health journey. Mm-hmm. There just had to be a better way. Of all the people we had talked to, and we also talked to some of his counselors um, post because you can do that and to better understand where he was that week leading up to this.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: No one sent us to NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is the gold standard for supporting people in their mental health challenges as well as caregivers. Mm -hmm. No one sent us there. And, you know, as we've come to explore what they do and provide, they do excellent psychoeducational programming to better understand your loved one's mental health challenges. They provide a lot of great resources so in all of our experience, which again in the course of my lifetime was really only, you know, eight to ten years, if you will, but in mm-hmm. that experience, no one directed us towards taking care of ourselves. That's just it was shocking. really entirely focused on supporting him. And so I just said there has to be a better way And to be quite honest, I'm just a problem solver. So I couldn't let it go. <laughs> I couldn't let it go and I've shared my story a hundred times right away because people wanted to understand. They wanted to know how they could support their own friends or family members. I think when you have someone who's gone through this and you're their friend, it's comfortable to talk to them. So it was easier to call me as a first line of support. And then I directed them to other places. So I started to get the hang of this, like, wow, (laughs) the more I tell my story, I'm bringing Hope and healing to other people. Oh, I'm a source of resources for people now. Mm -hmm. Oh, people want to know what to do and what not to do. Okay, I get that. And as I talked to people, one of the first people was, hey, my kids have a lot of questions about mental health challenges of my partner. What do I do? How do I talk to them? And it was at that moment I said out loud for the first time, I've had this idea to start something that supports only the mental illness caregiver in -hmm. their journey of caregiving. Mm -hmm. And this young entrepreneur said to me, you are not going to wait. This is too important. I'm going to help you. And she became my own personal entrepreneurial accelerator, if you Uh will, pushing Mm -hmm. me to say, Uh this is what we're going to do next. Mm No, we're not going to take a rest. We got to talk to some more people. We have this idea. What's it going to look like? How's it going to feel like? And it really just started by the first time I said it out loud. So,
1: what a wonderful gift call. to have that person come into your life, too.
0: Oh, right. And I'm a person of faith, so mm-hmm. I believe that every single person you meet is for a reason mm-hmm. that is much bigger than you could ever imagine. And sometimes you don't ever know what that reason is yeah. for many years to Yeah, come. I agree. So. Christy,
1: what unique challenges do caregivers of people with a mental illness face? I know the stigma is huge the stigma of mental yep. illness affects access to services. I wonder if you could speak on that, particularly right. particular so, challenges.
0: Right, so that stigma of mental illness is probably the number 1 barrier to both getting help and then taking care of yourself because mm-hmm. what I've come to say now is it's kind of acceptance is the first step. My loved one is living with a mental health challenge or a brain difference or whatever you choose to call it and the umbrella of mental illness is huge. The DSM for Mood disorder is huge. So there's a lot of things that fall under that. So acceptance is the first step, right? My loved one is living with a brain difference, a mental health challenge. That thereby makes me a mental illness caregiver, someone who provides care to someone they love with a mental health challenge. And so accepting that that's your role and that's where you are, then saying to yourself, I need help because it's really hard to navigate this alone. So what does that look like? Again, saying those two things out loud, looking back for myself, it was, this was my brother's story of mental health challenges. I can't share that story. Uh I may be providing care, but I can't say that out loud. Mm. I'm protecting his privacy, his family's privacy and confidentiality, so I can't share that. And yet I then didn't own my own story of providing care to someone I love, not realizing I could separate the two. Mm -hmm. I was so focused on him Mm -hmm. that it didn't allow me to focus on me. So A, acceptance that that's your story, B, acknowledging that you can't do it alone, and then C, which is you have to prioritize your own self-care. And I say all the time, it's the analogy of the flight attendant and the oxygen mask. And I'm not sure if you know this, but when those oxygen masks deploy on an airline, you have 18 seconds before you will pass out. Wow, I did not know that. 18 mm, seconds. Yeah. I know that. So, my husband's first reaction always is absolutely, I'm going to put it on my three kids and my wife. I'm going to take care of everybody else before mm. I put it on my own. Mm. He would have been passed out before you he could help anyone else. Mm. And then what good are you? So, if you don't put your own oxygen mask on first and you pass out, You will be of no good to anyone, including yourself. So it's that perfect analogy, and it's not a Christy analogy, right? Right. It's been out there for a long, long time with regards to caregiving, and yet it's just what is so relatable for people, which is, oh, wow, I get it. 18 Mm -hmm. seconds, I have to start doing that, putting on my own quickly, and then I can attend to my young children, those around me it sounds selfish it's so
1: not selfish right right It does, but it's really the best advice we'll be back after this message support for the age wise podcast comes from aeroflow urology are you spending too much time struggling with insurance companies and doctors to get products for your parent grandparent or loved one Aeroflow Urology helps caregivers like you enjoy more and worry less by helping qualify your loved one for incontinence products through insurance. Aeroflow's assigned continence care specialist works directly with the physician, provider, and patient to ensure your loved one finds the best products suited for their unique needs. To start the conversation, visit AeroflowEurology.com slash agewise or call 888-446-2177. Have you seen a generational difference in terms of the folks that you're now serving in terms of their willingness to share? And, and
0: what sort Hi. of people do you serve? Right. And so to be quite honest, we just kicked off our first two in-person programming last week. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people have been asking me, who do you serve? Who do you serve? Uh And I said, well, let me find out who shows up, right? Uh So who resonates with the programs we're doing? So what I have always said is, if you can relate to our mission, which is to provide hope, support, and courage to caregivers and loved ones of those living with mental illness, if you can relate to our mission. If you feel that our programs and services would be of benefit to you, and I know we're going to get into that later, then feel free to come and take advantage of our programs and services. I am not going to ask for your credentials for your loved one's mental illness at the door. Uh-huh. First of all, that doesn't exist. It's uh-huh. not like there's an AARP card that says you are over <laughs> a certain age. I am not going to ask for your credentials. As a matter of fact, your loved one's story While it's important to you and why you are here and your journey, your loved one's story will not be discussed in our in-person programming because our in-person programming is all about you and your self-care. So as the founder, I've heard a lot of different stories, and I know most people's stories who walk through the door by virtue of the connections we've made. I'd say that we serve most people that look like me. So I'm 56. I have supported a brother, we have people supporting spouses, we have some people supporting parents, a lot of siblings, and a lot of adolescent to college-age children. Hmm. And I think that's by virtue of the circles of our influence and our connections, right? Mm -hmm. So if you start with me... And you go to my friends and family, which is what the first mailing list was, right? Mm -hmm. My friends and family. Mm -hmm. And then we go to their circles, which widens a little bit. It continues to look like me for a little while. Mm -hmm. And then by virtue of being a grassroots effort, our hope is that our circles of influence become wider as one person brings two people, brings four people, brings, you know, you see the algorithm going forward. For now, it starts with people that look a lot like me because that's where it started. And then it will expand over time.
1: Right. And it's brand new. Tell us about the programs.
0: Brand new. Right. So I feel like in my head, we've been at this for almost five years because that's when it started. And yet (laughs) the reality when people are like, Christy, you just started. I'm like, oh, right. My head is not where it is. And so we incorporated (laughs) in um, April of 17. And that's when you do all your official paperwork. I had a board. We created a corporate checking account. We got our 501c3 that summer. We did a marketing research study to basically say, what do mental illness caregivers, what are they looking for? What do they want? We had a lot of ideas. We had like 25 ideas. We sent it out to this marketing research and we had about 150 responses from mental illness caregivers who helped us to prioritize those programs and services. Mm -hmm. So they narrowed it down to the top And we drew a line there and said, great. So we created a program model for the top six most requested services, and we sent those to focus groups. And in those six focus groups for those programs, we got excellent feedback and really honed our models on six programs and services. So being the overachiever and excited person (laughs) that I am, highly motivated to say we are going to pilot six programs in our launch phase, I've talked to so many wonderful mentors along the way, and one of my – biggest heroes locally who runs a giant integrative health medicine program for one of the big hospitals here basically said, "Uh, no, you're not. You're going to pilot two programs and you're going to do them really well because Mm -hmm. then you'll prove your credibility and you'll prove the impact that you're going to make. And then you can decide, what you want to do past that pilot. Mm -hmm. And of course, I was like, okay, well, we're really going to pilot three. So I kind (laughs) of compromised between six and two because I was really excited about that third program. Uh If I were to go in order of... what was most well-received by our focus groups and what Mm -hmm. got them most excited. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm at three, and I'm really glad we picked the three that we did. So here's what we landed. We first piloted in the fall. Our first program in November launched, and it can be virtual. So this is great for your listeners who might be looking for extra support. It's really peer support Mm -hmm. purely for caregivers, but mental illness caregivers, of course. But under that umbrella – Dementia does fall under, and Alzheimer's falls under the brain difference umbrella. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we do have a few volunteers and caregivers we are supporting with dementia and Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. So it is one-to-one caregiver support. And it's really based on my Stephen ministry experience Mm -hmm. of providing that one-to-one caring ministry. So we have people who register with us as volunteers or participants. Everyone is a caregiver. With experience, those volunteers are a little further along. So someone like me who could support someone who's brand new on their journey, Mm -hmm. they are interviewed after they register, then we match them based on their stories of care. It's a Mm -hmm. very personalized concierge service of saying, you know, Joe would be a great match for Harry over here, based on their stories and what Harry needs. Mm-hmm. And so then we train the volunteers. They have a series of six webinars that they do. They do it again virtually from their home. They are trained. We give every volunteer who could be meeting with their caregiver in person a background check. They sign all kinds of confidentiality waivers, mm-hmm. and we have a volunteer process. Then they get to match, and then they get started on mm-hmm. their caregiving journey of supporting their person so we have 30 people registered for that program and i wish i could say there's 15 matches but we actually have more caregivers in need of support than we do volunteers actively seeking volunteers yeah Yeah. actively seeking volunteers Mm -hmm. based on personal stories and so we're actually it's very concierge based at this point and it can be virtual so that's the beautiful thing it can be done over the phone or skype or facetime it does not have to be in person because we have volunteers all over the country, which is so great. Then our second two programs, which launched last week in Cleveland, so we serve northeast Ohio, and we have people from far east and west. You know, people are driving quite a ways to come because Mm -hmm. this service is not being provided. So we have east side and west side services, and the two programs we launched are breathing meditation and support groups. Mm -hmm. And they're very different than what you would traditionally think About those two programs Mm -hmm. in in the fact that again this goes back to my experience with support groups and I've been Uh to hundreds of support groups in my lifetime for a variety of issues or needs and again this is grossly stereotypical of a support group so I do not want to offend anyone who may be leading a support group out there and yet when they're held in typically in the bottom of dark dreary churches because they're (laughs) in the basement then you may walk in with a set of issues, but by the time you walk out, you walk out with a whole different set of issues. And mostly that's because a support group that's facilitated by a peer is pretty much a talk circle. You're in a circle. Yeah. How'd your week go? You all talk a little bit. It goes to the supporting the deepest, darkest person that week. Sure. And that's fair. Right? Yeah, if you're sure. in crisis, you came and you want support. We're there to support you. Mm-hmm. I typically was never that deepest, darkest person in the circle So again, I walked in with one set of issues and walked out thinking, oh my gosh, my loved one's going to die of a heroin overdose because heroin's cheaper than pot right now. Did you know that? Um, And you just, you walk out with all that extra baggage and I never felt uplifted or positive or supported or feeling better about myself, let alone my loved one, when I walked out of the support group. Mm -hmm. Ours is going to be so different. So it's going to be also really hard. And here's why. We're asking you to check your loved one's story at the door. And you are walking through into that room, whether it's breathing meditation for 45 minutes or a support group for 45 minutes as yourself. So you check your loved one. I would have checked my brother at the door. I walk through as Christy. I walk into that room and I am there purely to focus on myself. It is so hard to focus on yourself. There's very few people who really love to focus on themselves. Uh-huh. And so, by being vulnerable to be there and then vulnerable to walk through the threshold and then vulnerable to focus on yourself as an area of self improvement, we're asking a lot of people by doing that. And yet, very rarely are we asking caregivers, How are you today? How are you doing? So true. How is your day? Mm-hmm. We usually talk about our loved ones. Mm-hmm. How are they feeling? How are they doing? How was their hospital stay? How did their doctor's appointment go? No one's asking the caregiver, how are you doing? And so by just reframing the conversation to be about the caregiver and us saying, let us support you. Because when we can support you and you become stronger and more mentally and emotionally stronger and healthier, we know you are going to take better care of your loved one. We just know it. So that's our focus during those two programs. We're going to believe in you so much until you can believe in you again and reclaim you. And we're not saying it's the sacrifice of your loved one at all. We are saying, let us help you to rebuild your own self-worth, your own self-confidence, and give you some tools to take home, to take better care of yourself at home.
1: That's so important. And most support groups, Again, I'm generalizing like you are,
0: but yeah, I, I've I been know. to some
1: support groups as a caregiver and it is yeah. like a talk circle and it's therapeutic, but you walk away in be. a daze. You yeah. really need tools. You need people who are proactively helping you. So without naming names, would it be possible for you to tell us about one of the caregivers who came in and how that person benefited?
0: Sure. So as a matter of fact, we just, again, we just launched last week, right. week and so I had some nice voicemails and emails of people who were surprised. They were surprised by the community building because we have some community building time beforehand Mm -hmm. for about 15 minutes Mm -hmm. in between the two sessions and at the end. And we really didn't know who's going to stay for both or who's just there for one or the other. Mm -hmm. And to be quite honest, the breathing meditation, you come in and you are literally filled. It's like a gift to yourself. And you don't ever have to talk because the facilitator is leading you through this beautiful meditation And movement based on our theme and our topic of the week Mm -hmm. and so literally you never have to speak if you don't want to so I was fully expecting people to come be filled and leave without ever having to share Mm -hmm. and yet they stayed for both so I thought that was a really interesting thing and they definitely loved that aspect of just centering and um, the fact that deep breathing is such a tool that we don't take time for and that is such a gift It was hands down the favorite of our focus groups, hands down a fan's favorite, and I can already tell it's going to be very popular. To be led through a meditation, some people can do that on their own and are really good at it, which is great, but you have to learn to do that, and you have to train your brain to do that, so that's what we're doing. We're teaching people to reclaim that in all the hecticness of their life and busyness of their caregiving take time and train their brain to do this. Mm -hmm. And so we heard lots Mm -hmm. of great feedback from caregivers of, yes, what a gift this was, but I learned something new. I didn't think I was going to be able to do this. And yet quickly the the facilitator helped me to get to a deep peace. And then we gave them a little bit of homework. The goal was, oh gosh, I hope I can do this at home. Uh So this week (laughs) Tonight, as a matter of fact, we're going to find out because we're going to say, how did that go? Were you able to keep this and sustain this at home? Where do we need to help you? How can we support you? Basically, is the big question tonight. Mm-hmm. And then we carry on. We teach them another meditation and we give them a little more homework and we hope that this builds and becomes a tool in their toolbox. Mm. The support groups, a very different kind of energy, right? Again, we're teaching them tools for their toolbox, all towards building resilience of self-care over time. And so we'll be saying, how did that homework go? How did you do? We heard great feedback about our facilitators. We heard great feedback about just making time for them. They felt so special. Just being there was self-care.
1: Yeah, I love the idea of the breathing meditation program, because it's really no pressure for the person who's there. And you're so right. We're distracted by so many things outside of us, that we mostly move through the world in response to what is outside of us, not based on what we're feeling in our own hearts and souls, even if We're not aware of that, I think. I could be wrong, but I think that. Were there any other organizations doing this sort of work in Ohio?
0: We've partnered with a lot of different community partners and continued to partner with more. Mm -hmm. You know, the ones that were obvious for me as community partners, we found right away Mm -hmm. uh, by virtue of references and connections. And yet, to this day, people are like, hey, we want to be a community partner. We love what you're doing. We do something similar. Let's meet. Mm -hmm. And so people I didn't even know about, doing some of the same work we are now meeting with talking about because even though we just launched last week our board is meeting this week and we're going to be talking about scale where Uh do we take this in 2020 i'm writing grants for 2020 are we going to go deeper into what we are doing and do it better and do it at more places Uh or do we go wide and i think my board's going to want to go deeper Uh and so as a result these people who've come forward as community partners They may be doing some similar things and yet very different because there's a lot of yoga studios out there, and yet they're not specializing in just breathing for caregivers. Definitely. And so they recognize it as a need. They recognize it as an issue. Trauma-informed yoga has been a huge thing. It's just an explosive area within yoga. And so we're starting to partner because we look at ourselves as operating in the trauma space, helping people through moments of crisis. Mm -hmm. And when you're a caregiver, there's definitely a traumatic experience to that. Oh, yeah. That's any caregiver, right? And so we look at partnering with people who are doing similar things, but we're creating this niche expertise for programs and services specifically for mental illness caregivers. The support groups are one of a kind. No one is treating a support group like we are. Mm -hmm. They're all looking at Mm -hmm. it through the lens of psychoeducational programming and understanding your loved one's mental illness and your journey of that support. So we are definitely pioneers there and looking at probably just adding more locations. It's Mm -hmm. going to be finding facilitators Mm -hmm. who are willing to take a try at something new Mm -hmm. that's going to be the hardest part there because Mm -hmm. we know Mm -hmm. that there's people who want that. And the one-to-one caregiver support again, we're the only ones providing that peer support purely focused on the mental illness caregiver. There's lots of peer support for their loved ones with mental illness that are fully accredited and sanctioned by the state. But we're going to continue to focus on those caregivers. And I know we'll see explosive growth in that program. I'm sure
1: you will. I understand the Courage to Caregivers programs are free for participants. Is that right?
0: So, right, in our pilot year, as mm-hmm. we launched this in 2019, they are at no cost to the participants. Someone trained me early on to say that versus free because free is as if we're giving things away. At no right. cost means I've secured funding for this pilot year to launch these programs. Part of our pilot will be evaluating that price point. Mm-hmm. And if we can continue to be successful in our grant writing and be supported by those agencies and we can continue to find community partners willing to host us at no cost to us, that might be our model going forward. It will be flushed out this year as part of the pilot. Sometimes charging a small fee holds people accountable to showing up.
1: Good point. Yeah.
0: Some Right. So sometimes even when you're in dire financial crisis, making a sacrifice to attend something important to you holds them accountable. So finding that sweet spot of accountability and participation It's one of the things we're measuring Mm -hmm. as part of our pilot.
1: Mm -hmm. You've really thought this through. I'm so impressed.
0: Some people would say I've overthought it, to be quite (laughs) honest. Well,
1: you are an overachiever. That's all right. You can always dial it back. (laughs) For, for, For folks who live in Ohio, where can they learn more about your services?
0: The best place is our website, which is CourageToCaregivers.org. Mm-hmm. And we have a programs and services page that has all the details about when, where, and how to show up and register. No registration required for the in-person programs, but we like to know who's coming and stay in touch. So there's a place to subscribe to our weekly inspirational email. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you can direct dial. Our cell phone is 216-536-7699. I'm the one who answers the phone. Mm -hmm. And again, in our launch, we're providing very much concierge services. So I do a lot of active listening and I have a lot of experience in that. So it's just helping them to, helping quickly to triage in the sense of is what they need, is what you need as a caregiver, what we can provide, what we know we can provide in our programs and services, or am I referring you first to NAMI? because really everybody should start there to get their psychoeducational programming. Mm -hmm. Am I referring you to a private counselor or independent social worker? We have a lot of resources at our fingertips to get people to the right place based on the level of care that they need at that moment.
1: Mm -hmm. So start there. Great. And NAMI, for listeners who don't know, of course, is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Christy, Mm -hmm. uh, I have one last question for you. How are your folks doing?
0: And how is your family Mm. doing? Right. You were so sweet to ask that, Jana. So I would say as parents and of their generation, so they're both in their 80s, mm-hmm. that talking about this is really hard. Yeah. yeah. And my mom's a counselor. Mm-hmm. You know, She's wow. gone on her life to be a counselor. And they both had a really hard time of finding grief resources that helped people of their age through suicide. Mm-hmm. And so it's taken a long time for them to find that, but I would say that it's still really, really hard. And for the same reasons I said at the beginning, they brought my brother life and this is just almost too unbearable or unbelievable to accept Mm -hmm. and understand. When we looked at the model for how to start and what to be involved, my family is very involved in Courage to Caregivers as a startup and Mm -hmm. everybody has played a role from referrals to marketing to publicity to hands on the ground to my sisters are at every outreach event and very involved. Mm -hmm. I will say that I was the one that was willing to tell the story and Mm -hmm. continually and consistently tell the story. And that's how I became the founder and executive director, but I am fully supported in every way. I talk to my sisters almost every day Mm -hmm. about something related to our nonprofit and they're both being trained to be me when I can't be there. Uh So they are interchangeable with me. Mm -hmm. We see our work with courage to caregivers and our programs and services as part of our healing journey, telling our story, not only brings hope and healing to those to share their own story, but it actually brings us so much healing in that trauma of better understanding and helps to give meaning to our experience so that we can help people. And I would say it's not a one-way street, right? Mm -hmm. I don't just help people on their journey. I am receiving so much in return Mm -hmm. from them sharing their stories it's a two-way street. So we continue to receive healing through our work and our continued conversations.
1: That's wonderful. That's really, really wonderful. Well, I'm about to close, but I want to offer you the opportunity for any last thoughts, if you have any.
0: Mm, You've asked such great questions and you've done your homework and you've been very (laughs) thoughtful in your approach because this is not an easy subject, right? I mean, you work with traditionally the way people see caregivers, right? Yeah. Those um, who are older and I'm the sandwich generation. I support older parents, so I understand that role of caregiving. Mm -hmm. I will just say that there's no competition here. No one's out to win a race. Every story of caregiving is so important. And I'm not comparing my story of caregiving to your story of caregiving. Caregivers are heroes. They are doing this unpaid work. We know based on all the national statistics that being a caregiver is saving families across the entire world so much in resources Mm -hmm. to provide that unpaid, leave unpaid work and rarely do they get a thank you. So on behalf of all caregivers everywhere, I just want to say thank you to your audience for your role in caregiving and just don't forget to take care of yourself. What I lost in those four years was sight of myself and my lack of self-care which was really I was an emotional eater this care of my brother took me over the edge of my story of support so I would hang up and he'd say oh I feel so much better I'd hang up and I'd want to just collapse because I was physically and emotionally exhausted from our two and three hour calls and I'd immediately go to the kitchen and I'd start eating I gained almost 50 pounds in those four years now I wish I could blame my brother I couldn't It was all on me as an emotional eater. So when I was able to reclaim me by focusing again on my self-care, what I realized was I matter and I matter as much as my brother. So I have to take care of myself or I will not be there for the rest of my family. I just won't. So my message to your listeners is you matter. Thank you. And do just one thing for yourself today and it might just be opening the front door for some fresh air. It might be walking to get the mail. It might just be a shower. But take time in those moments to take a deep breath and remember what you're doing is so important. Take care of you.
1: We've been speaking with Christy Horner, founder and executive director of Courage to Caregivers, a Northeast Ohio nonprofit organization that provides one-to-one caregiver support, support groups, educational programs, and resources for family members and friends caring for someone with mental illness. We'll have a link on the AgeWise website to Christy's organization, plus some additional resources you can tap into that Christy mentioned in the show. Christy, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I'm so in awe of what you're doing. And appreciate just as a caregiver what you're doing. Thank you so much for being on the show and for being so open about your story.
0: Well, thank you for reaching out. Take care. Bye bye.
1: That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. If you like this show, if you're getting something out of it, I want you to tell your friends about it because I want everyone to know you're not alone. So share this with your friends, share the love. This episode was produced and edited by me. I'm on Twitter at Jana Panaritis, And as always, you can leave comments on the AgeWise website. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z dot The AgeWise podcast is distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk radio network. I'm Jana Panaritas. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.